Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. Have thoughts on what we should cover in a future episode? Let us know on Twitter at at Cisco Champion. All right, today we are getting technical and we will be talking about Cisco Radio Routine. What is this? We will soon find out. We have a great cast of champions that are going to help us understand what this is, the challenges it addresses, the use cases, and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get to know our hosts. Alan, I'm going to start with you. Who are you? Hi, my name is Alan Gardner. I'm the CEO of Current Technologies Computer Learning Center and also a Cisco Distinguished Instructor. Right? We specialize in SD-WAN deployments, collaboration, and enterprise networking. Fantastic. And this is your first podcast episode. It is. All right. Glad to have you on. Jonathan, you're up next. What do you do? Hey, Emily. Well, I try to do some work sometimes, but, you know, that's dependent on the day. You're a very but hard I, worker. Yeah, when are you not yeah. working? <laughs> I don't know. That's true. I normally talk to you at early hours in the morning anyway. Um, yeah, so I'm principal wireless engineer in the mining sector. And uh, uh, my Twitter handler is at Jonathan.Mahadi. And I'm really looking forward to this topic. Actually, this this topic was your idea. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't backfire on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. What about you? What's your background? Yeah, I'm uh, Mike Belitho. I'm a wireless engineer with Common Spirit Health. I've uh, been in networking for about a decade now. Um, wireless for just about just this year so far. So it's been been a good transition though. All right, now to our Cisco experts. Frank and Sean, glad to have you with us today. Can you tell us more about who you are and what you do at Cisco? I'm Frank Columbus. I'm the uh, technical marketing engineer for the IoTBU for the embedded products. So those would be embedded routers and switches, the ESR 6300, the ESS 3300, and the ESS 9300. My name is Sean Jury. I am a systems architect uh, covering Cisco Federal. All right. Well, the champions are going to kick off the conversation with a question, but before we get to them, is there any background that our listeners uh, need to know on, on Cisco Radio Wear Routing? Sure, so I'll give a, a brief background. Um, many years ago, a radio vendor came to Cisco and said, we'd like to put a router in our one of our radios. And, and this happened to be a TDMA type radio. So they came to us and said, we're coming to you with a collection of point-to-point -point links. So. Hence, we developed RFC 5578. Originally, it was 4938, but we had to make some updates to it. So we updated it to 5578 after the fact. Um, once we had a TDMA-style radio, we started looking, and, and we had other radio vendors that came to us and said, well, I have more of a broadcast or a non-broadcast-style radio. Is there a better protocol for us? Because we don't want to pin up PPPoE over a broadcast medium. So we started working on what is now called DLEP, which is the second protocol of radio routing, which is RFC 8175. And DLEP is an acronym, Dynamic Link Exchange Protocol. I just figured it'd be more appropriate to uh, actually 
break out the acronym so that people uh, who might not be aware with the lingo that we are intimate with uh, can actually begin to digest the material that we're going to uh, present to them. Yeah, now our listeners are part of that inner circle. You know the lingo. <laughs> Side note, that has happened to me many times. In fact, I've actually been in a meeting where I presented on a, on a you know, technical stuff and they have an acronym in there. And it turns out everyone thought I was thinking uh, talking about something else. And Jonathan, I, I love that when uh, acronyms get reused. The other thing that's always fun with the world of acronyms are the nested acronyms where we take acronyms and make other acronyms from them. Oh, wow. Have fun cracking that code. It's like Inception. Yes. I was just going to say. <laughs> sure. So I'll go ahead and kick it off. So besides like emergency response that we've done with radio air routing forever, right? We're starting to see more and more use cases implemented in the real world. What kind of real world applications is Cisco looking at for radio air routing? So radio air routing uh, actually started, if I'm not mistaken, with military applications. And then we realized that we could uh, use it for search and rescue, uh, first responders in the civilian world. But if you actually expand this out uh, a bit, uh, what you'll find is it could involve use cases in healthcare, news media and entertainment, uh, wildlife studies, storm, uh, storm chasers. The common thread here is that Rather than being an endpoint in motion, what you really have is a whole network in motion that's linked by radio. Another example I could uh, think of that's uh, really on the exotic side is uh, if you look at what Google is doing with a, a program they call Google Loon, spelled L-O-O-N. This is uh, an attempt <clears throat> to bring... Uh, internet services to areas of the globe where it's just not practical to wire these areas. And the terrain may have other challenges as well. What Loon does is they uh, are flying stratospheric balloons with uh, uh, radio platforms on board. So even if you've got uh, uh, radio platforms that are floating in the air, uh, you do have a situation where you might have multiple radio links on different bands and you have to select uh, uh, the optimal link because as uh, uh, weather conditions change, uh, you may see uh, the propagation on one band versus the other uh, be better or worse. And then the routing infrastructure makes a decision as to which uh, which radio path to use. So Frank, um, you know, you just touched on, that's a very exotic uh, use case and, and topography is one of those things uh, uh, where I work in the mining sector that that becomes a bit of an issue. So what are the potential applications in the mining sector? So specific to the mining se uh, sector, <clears throat> what you're uh, dealing with is, are things like open pit mines where it, it's not, you know, everyone uh, thinks of this big, huge bowl, but it's uh, not necessarily a bowl that has line of sight. You may have obstructions where vehicles move behind uh, piles of rock, and those piles of rock are ground, and that uh, presents uh, an obstruction to a microwave link. Uh, when we think about Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi is uh, generally implemented 
on uh, multiple uh, uh, gigahertz, 2.4, 5, and now uh, 6 gigahertz. So if you've got links that live in that uh, spectrum, the second you pass behind a huge uh, pile of dirt, you've got an obstruction. Also in mining, you may have networks that uh, involve exploration where you've got multiple pieces of uh, scientific apparatus that are used to uh, detect new deposits of minerals. Again, these could be things in motion that are taking uh, telemetry back to a common uh, location where you could uh, benefit here by choosing the best uh, path. Does that answer your question? Oh, absolutely it does. Thank you. So, Frank, another question for you. Besides mining, what other, you know, like ambulances or food trucks, what, other, what else should we expect to see that's on the horizon? How many times uh, do you watch the news and you see uh, a picture of uh, a video of a police chase? Now, obviously, that could have uh, uh, different video feeds coming from different helicopters, coming from different uh, vehicles on the ground. That is another thing that could uh, potentially benefit here. And earlier I mentioned storm chasers. If you look at the trucks that they uh, use, they generally have a lot of instrumentation on board when they're uh, chasing things like tornadoes. And obviously they're collaborating on the way. So Frank, how do we configure this? So, you know, we take, you know, when we t talk about um, some of the other um, products that we have, it's like, you know, a hardware product or, or uh, you know, it's done within CLI. Um, how do we configure a Cisco radio or routing? And when would we use PPPoE versus like DLAP? Okay, so today uh, it's pretty much in its early stages. So the configuration is uh, mostly CLI. There are uh, other things that will be uh, coming uh, to do uh, better and more comfortable uh, configuration. It hasn't been uh, ported into uh, web UI yet. I will be talking with our uh, PM team about that. Uh, one of the things that we'll notice is that with the radio vendors, their uh, implementation is in a web uh, UI. So it would be uh, very nice to have uh, a situation where someone configuring the, um, uh, the feature can simply uh, flip between two tabs on a web browser versus uh, having to deal with uh, our Cisco piece in uh, CLI in something like PuTTY uh, and then the radio piece in a web browser. That, that's currently the way it is today. Uh, fortunately, what we can say is that uh, radio-aware routing and the RFCs are gaining traction with the various radio manufacturers so as the uh, uh, technology matures, uh, we will see easier to use uh, uh, user interfaces and tools develop. Hey, Sean, so why don't we uh, get a little bit more into the weeds here? This kind of, from a high level, feels a little like a little bit like SD-WAN, a little bit like uh, 802.11 mesh. Let's, uh, let's kind of talk about um, how this works a little bit and uh, see where we can, where this, the benefit is with the with this style of routing? Sure. So, I mean, 
for both protocols that we're talking about, the general concept is we're trying to get information from the radio into the router. So the router can make better decisions of how it's going to make either a traffic decision, which path to take, or how to handle that traffic. A uh, couple examples of that is, you know, we have uh, metrics that we're getting from the radio that, you know, we have a couple different ones and we can get into those specifically if you want, but for the most part, it's telling us how much bandwidth they have, how much latency and, you know, what they're actually seeing on that link. Um, we take those metrics and we can actually put them into routing protocols. Currently we have EIGRP and OSPF v3 that will take those in, and there's a really complex algorithm. It's documented up on the website, so I don't want to get into it too much, but, um, and then we, we form a, a metric for that, for either one of those, whichever ones we decide to use. And that's how we actually pick which route is best. Um, it's very easy to do when you have a single radio uh, where the, you know, some of the complexity comes into if you have two separate types of radios. So let's say you have a beyond line of sight satellite style radio versus a line of sight uh, direct access type radio where they're going to just, you know, you have to see the other radio on the other side to talk to it. You might want to balance that out a little bit. And we, we've put a lot of uh, capability into our routing protocols that allow you to adjust that way. So we can go ahead and do that. Um, so that's how we do that. And from the QoS point of view, we also look at, you know, using the bandwidth that we're getting from the radio and feeding that into QoS so we can actually shape to that rate. So we're never actually sending the radio more data than it can handle for that specific link. Let the router do, you know, the heavy lifting and manage that traffic like we're designed to do. Yeah, and uh, earlier Frank kind of mentioned, you know, when a, a truck might go around a corner and we we lose line of sight and we, we lose connectivity. Um, when that happens, what does convergence look like? What kind of speeds are we talking about where you might drop a link? How long are we down? And are we back up passing traffic uh, across another radio link? Sure. So obviously we wanted to make sure that we could have quicker convergence than normal, right? So normal hello timers and routing protocols are probably not the best uh, methods to do that. So right, right. Um, one of the things we've actually done is when the radio tells us that that link is gone, because that's part of the protocol that, you know, neighbor up, neighbor down is part of that protocol. So the radio is telling us, I found somebody new or I just lost somebody. That's a triggering event in both routing protocols, which will actually tear that neighbor down and force reconvergence. So we're not waiting for the routing protocol, you know, hello timers. However, uh, you may also uh, tune your uh, routing protocols additionally to make them converge faster. This is uh, very commonly done uh, in OSPF in the service provider world. So I see now that in 17.8.1, SD-WAN got RadioWare routing. What devices are out there that are going to support this today? And, and what devices do we see going forward right, in, in iOS XE that are going to support Right, radio-aware routing. So SD-WAN currently supported on uh, the Cisco ISR platforms, the 4000 and 1000 ISRs. We also support it on the ASR 1000 as well as the CSR and the Catalyst 8000 virtual router. Um, right. Going forward, I don't know what our plans are. I'll be honest. I, I, I can only speculate where we're going to go with it. But, you know, that's where we're at today. And, you know, it is presently developed to do just underlay routing so okay. that if you have routers 
and radios in the underlay, you can build the fabric over top of it and use the, the routing from that. So when we say ISRs, are we also including the Catalyst 8200s and 8300s in this as well? I don't know if those are specifically included yet. Okay. It, the documentation I see right here in front of me doesn't have them called out, but that should be something if, if we're interested in it's. I know it's being discussed. Let's put it that way. I think that's like a huge benefit, um, you know, for customers when, especially in rural areas where you may not have uh, multiple ingress points for fiber, right? And and you have you go down due to a cut, and you can utilize SD WAN to flip right over across the air. It's that's pretty cool. So, um, Sean, I just want to go back onto the metrics as well a bit more. So I'm I'm an ORF nerd, right? I love my ORF. Um, <clears throat> although I'm not very, um, I'm probably not as uh, big an expertise as someone like Frank. I mean, I'm just looking at the background of his uh, his podcast there. It's brilliant. Um, but anyway, um, so what, in terms of the metrics, right, uh, I do actually want to talk about them a little bit. How, you know, normally when we talk about uh, any sort of optimization or uh, ORF writing, um, there's a weighting right so there's like sensitivity of the metric and the weighting so like how long does the um i guess the the solution wait before it starts you know just making a decision right i need to move off and and which metrics would have a higher rating to that so like obviously link down is going to be a clear you know that's a definite i have to move so if if i'm planning from a design perspective right what do, should i be looking for from that from that standpoint what I would tell you is that in both routing protocols, OSPFE3 and EIGRP, uh, the metric formula we use have a weighting capability for each metric. So you can weight one metric 100% over all the others and ignore the rest, or you can, however you want to do it. So we built in that flexibility for, you know, the customer to be able to make that decision of, of you know, based on the radio you're t attaching to this router, what's most important to us. Um, you know, some people might worry about latency. Some people might worry about what the current bandwidth is. Uh, th these are all important things. So that is important there. But we've also included um, on a per interface basis, you know, a VMI interface for radio routing, a way to do either hysteresis or dampening of updates. So let's say that you get, you know, you get a radio link that's flapping back and forth between you know, two values. And instead of just sitting there churning your routing table and causing OSPFE3 to run SPFs every millisecond, you can say, you know what, give me a 10% change before I even look at the next one. So it'll sit there and watch it. And once it gets to that 10%, then it will take that and send that into the routing and, and make that change. So if we can think about like traditional mesh, which is, you know, probably heavily heavy relied on in various industries, that's kind of, you know, you know, a more dynamic version of that that if would that be kind of something that we can like use as an analogy so you something you can actually configure because normally within the mesh right now or uh, i think maybe with the new 9800s you might be able to make some adjustments to the actual timers um but like in traditional mesh we couldn't make any adjustments right so we we're just like hitting for hope and just hoping the protocol does its thing whereas this is a little bit more um you know has some knobs that we can tune yeah i mean you gotta remember the way we are looking at this versus traditional mesh. Traditional wire, Cisco wireless mesh, you're building a network for your endpoints to connect into. Um, whether that's a workgroup bridge, whether it's an endpoint or whatever, you're just, you're building a network. It's, for the most part, we look at them as stationary. That's what we, we try to do at least, uh, at least in my opinion or my experience. But, you know, in this case, as Frank was alluding to, you know, we have a router radial pair 
that we're putting into a vehicle or we're putting into a location or something like that. And they're tied together wherever that vehicle happens to go, that this pair is going to go to. And that's what makes a big difference in, in how we're looking at it because we have to start thinking in terms of, you know, Manet's and, you know, mobile access, access right. networks and trying to be able to build around that. Um, one of the things we actually added as part of OSPF three to help in a lot of this thing is we actually added RFC. Oh, I just had this 5820, um, which is some extensions to OSPF to help support Manet's. Um, there's, you know, a lot of things in there, two hop routing and stuff like that. We only worry about two hops away instead of the entire network. We're, we're trying to minimize what's on the radio link because your radio link is your most precious resource. And we want to put data on the radio link, not ARPs or, you know, routing updates or something like that. You want to be able to t pass it correctly, but you don't want to flood it with bad traffic. <laughs> Another thing, another thing for people who are not so in depth with uh, the technology to be aware of, DLEP, uh, at least the DLEP uh, uh, part of radio aware routing, uses something called current data rate. So, if you look at what you've got in your routing protocols in uh, EIGRP, you have a bandwidth parameter that is affected by the CDR coming in from uh, DLEP. In OSPF, your costs are based on the bandwidth of those links. So a slower link has a higher cost, a faster link has a lesser cost. At a high level, this is where you can start to digest how this actually interoperates. Sean, would you agree with that uh, perspective? It, it's a little bit more complex than that just because it's it's not a direct... You know, CDR is our bandwidth, and that's what we're going to use, like, you know, an OSPF, the, the bandwidth of the interface. Um, but for the most part, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking to get some, get people started. Exactly. Exactly right. So I have a question for you guys. So as we're starting to see this technology start to bloom, right, when do you think we're going to start seeing everyday use of this technology? Like, you know, we saw the cell phone boom in like the 80s and 90s. You know, we're starting to see a lot of 5G stuff out there. You know, wireless routing just seems like that's the next evolution of where we're going, right? Where, when do we think this will start, you know, popping in the industry? It's already uh, uh, gaining traction with the uh, the radio vendors that uh, work with the uh, military radios, primarily because the military largely has networks that are on the move. Uh, as the military uh, develops the technology out, that's where you're going to uh, uh, soon see the civilian uh, use cases follow. And we uh, enumerated earlier uh, a lot of civilian use cases that actually make sense for the technology. Hard to say exactly when it's going to happen, but the good news is it is happening uh, now. So, you know, is, is there anything we can do to support it? So like as engineers, right, you know, this, these things make sense, right? It's just like one of these things where you're like, well, you know, I could really do with doing something like this. And the fact that you're using a standard ma uh, methodology really supports, you know, uh, ubiquitous radioing. Well, I mean, the biggest way I see that we can support it is we really need to get, you know, the radio vendors involved. Because, you know, as much as Cisco has developed the, RF, the standard side on the, the router, 
if the radio vendors aren't implementing it, there's nothing we can do. And, you know, so the more radio vendors, whether they happen to be, you know, typical standalone, uh, beyond line of sight, satellite type networks, or even cell networks, if we can get them to be passed, you know, being able to pass information to us. And these are the, you know, we're working internally, of course, to, to work with the drivers and stuff that we have internally, but anything that connects externally to a router is a type of thing that we're looking at. So which radio vendors are you guys working with today? And, and, you know, how can we help with those radio vendors, right, to get them to, to start using this technology? I don't know that we can actually uh, start speaking to that because uh, that would involve endorsements. And I don't want to be endorsing one versus the other. So that's really not a, a question that I uh, that I would feel comfortable uh, addressing. Uh, suffice it to state, it is a standard and uh, radio vendors are all free to implement the standard. Most of this is going to come from the user com community that points to uh, an application, a use case by the military and says, hey, it worked for the military over there. Now can you make a cost-reduced version of that for me? Hey, Frank, you work in the IOTBU, right? Correct. So, you know, uh, there could be some use cases there with the new IoT radios and whatnot where, you know, you've got a last mile and absolutely no other way out, right? And you need to get small bits of information. Maybe that's something we could look at later. Okay. So while Frank doesn't want to give out too many things, I will give out publicly available information that's, you know, from other radio vendors. Uh, for the RFC 5578, which is a PPPoE version, uh, there are Viasat radios out there that will support it, as well as Harris Corporation radios that will support it today. And those are all publicly available. Is there a difference? Like, what's the difference between the PPOE implementation versus DPLE? When, when, when would you use one over the other? So the way they're designed is really dependent on a radio manufacturer and what the RF side of the radio is. Um, when we look at 5578 PPPOE version, we get more of a TDMA where you have that end-to-end -end link dedicated bandwidth between two devices. And when you have a TDMA, that's when, okay, well, we can put a PPPoE session between a router and radio, PPP over top of that. When I send something out of the router, I know who's going to receive that on the other side. Uh, from the DLAP point of view, that's more of the broadcast type RF network where you're sending a packet out and it's destined for somebody on the other side of the network and they're going to, everybody's going to see it, but only the person it's destined for is going to pull it off that RF. That's where DLEP comes into play. It, it plays like it's on an ethernet and it wants to be able to send it out. It's not building anything over that RF in the sense of control planes or anything else like that or tunnels, but it's just sending it out and the radio is responsible for putting the right uh, you know, let's say, use MAC address as the best way to put it, right? MAC address on it so the other radio can pull it off who's it's destined for. Yeah, the last thing you want to be doing is building tunnels and tearing them down because that whole process takes time and it takes uh, compute cycles. So besides the routers we've talked about, we haven't really talked about APs. Uh, are we building this technology into APs, right, so that we can do 802.11 sometimes and radio air routing some other times? The only way that APs uh, get into the mix here is if you're using, or let me say 802.11, is if you're using it in the work group bridge sense of the word. Uh, it doesn't make sense when you're talking to an endpoint. Uh, an endpoint, your cell phone doesn't route. It, it uh, uh, is 
the most common use of 802.11 technology. However, uh, you know, it was mentioned earlier uh, that we could be using uh, access points as workgroup bridges and uh, the other piece connected to that could be a router where there's multiple uh, radios in use. What about uh, LTE? Does that fit into this picture somewhere? It could. I mean, you know, Frank's been focusing a lot on, on the mobile access of this, and, and it's very that's a very important portion of this. But I look at it in a more of a generic realm where this is a protocol that can be used on any device that is Ethernet connected to the router or somehow connected to the router that has a variable link on it. I mean, I, I go as far as to say my cable modem should have it. So I know how, you know, what speed my cable modem has negotiated with the head end so I can put QoS on my router, my home router, and never exceed what they're telling me I have. So that's a use case I look at as a very generic use case. But, I mean, we can look at many places out in, uh, you know, commercial products today where you have radio links between two buildings. And you'd love to be able to put something on there so you can do QoS and you're not overrunning it. Yeah, so we uh, also have uh, LTE links built into uh, routers that today are not using uh, DLEP from the uh, LTE modem into the router. In the future, uh, if our uh, wireless uh, technology manufacturers that uh, build the little modules that we use, put DLEP into them, it's conceivable that you could have uh, a product that has multiple LTE interfaces with multiple service providers where you uh, start to make an intelligent decision as to which of the links are the better link to use at a given point in time. I use an analogy in a lot of the uh, uh, things that I, uh, the collateral that I have developed, where I say, think of uh, radio-aware routing protocols, be it DLEP or uh, PPPoE credit-based, as being the, uh, the bar icon on your cell phone. Because literally, that's what it is. It's telling, the way the bar icon tells you whether you've got a good signal or a poor signal, uh, radio-aware routing protocols tell the router whether there is a good signal or a poor signal coming from that particular link. And that uh, uh, is communicated into the router's routing and QoS mechanisms. So uh, there, I guess one of the other main things that I I, I, uh, I wanted to ask, uh, so like I get a sense now where this is going, you know, where we're at with this um, solution. But one of the things that is, uh, you know, prominent for engineers out there is that we've got to manage lots of equipment, right? So we have to manage many routers, many APs. Um, and, you know, some of these things need to be visual, visualized. Um, so is there a way to centrally manage this or, and or centrally view this? So, you know, you said it's like a, it's like a, a bar on your phone, consider it that way, right? Like one of those um, signal bars. Is there any way of actually seeing that in, in any of the Cisco products right now, or is that something we're, uh, we'd have to look at? So as I mentioned, this is a process of crawl, walk, run. We're, we're somewhere between the crawl and walk stage uh, in terms of the uh, management. Uh, Sean and I have been also involved in uh, telling our engineering uh, people how to improve 
Well, the uh, debug and show commands was something that Sean and I uh, recently did some uh, work on. So until all of that is uh, sorted out, uh, bringing it into web UI might be step one. Bring, bringing it into DNA Center, step two. Bringing it fully into uh, uh, SD-WAN and vManage, uh, yet another step. But again, uh, we're kind of working through the actual real-world implementations because a lot of this early development was done using software simulators. And now we're, uh, for the first time, uh, getting radio uh, vendors that are really implementing this in a big way to start working with us and to uh, actually use it. So that'll drive a lot more of the uh, uh, demand for management platforms that are going to provide user-friendly graphical management. I totally get uh, where you're coming from, though. So let me just interject one thing, though, because one of the cool things about the latest versions of SD-WAN is in the vManage, right, we can see the degradation of QoS, right? And if RadioWare routing is part of that, shouldn't we see it in the vManage GUI now when it comes to the QoS, the latency, the drops, and those kind of things today? Sean, you're working with products that uh, are actually supporting DLAP plus uh, SD-WAN. I'll be honest, I haven't seen the vManage. Um, I do know that a lot of the uh, metrics that are being learned through RadioWare routing aren't actually being presented to vManage today to be acted upon. Um, that was, let's call it phase two, that we were looking at doing that. We Right now, we just wanted to have, um, you know, the the basics in there. Uh, so I don't know if the QoS that we're doing as part of RadioWare routing is going to be seen in vManage. I don't want to mm -hmm. tell you yes and then have you find out it's no. <laughs> but I'm talking more in the general of in the tunnel, right? So on the underlays where we're talking about the RadioWare routing, but on the overlay tunnel, we'll see those metrics come into play right from the from the lost latency and jitter correct yes i mean well yeah because if you're learning it through uh, bfd absolutely you're going to yep. be learning that so yes the bfd going over radio routing radios you'll be seeing some of that coming up through the tunnels but you won't have anything directly from the metrics that we're getting from the radio so jonathan and sd win right when you look at those qos metrics you're actually extrapolating that data into the qos and sd win today okay that's really that's really interesting. Actually, I must speak to my SD WAN colleagues and see see that in action. Um, I, I guess for Frank and Sean, I get, uh, you know, this is one of the benefits of using RFC standards, and I presume that is why you know you went down this path. Do you want to touch base on that? Like, what sort of, you know, how much time did that took? Uh, you know, what, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. You know, we talk about the hard work that we have to put in, the tankless work. Like the twenty nine, like the twenty nine different uh, DLEP draft uh, RFCs that went out. Yeah, uh, Sean was painfully involved in that. He was one of the uh, co-authors to RFC eighty one seventy five, so he he can really address that a whole lot more than I can. Yeah, seven years of uh, work from the time we put the original draft in until getting it to the RFC, and I mean, while there were some major changes between the first and second a lot of it was you know going back through and just having discussions with the different radio vendors or routing vendors that were coming into the working group at the time and making sure that they everybody understood the direction we were going and why um and you know they a lot of them brought a lot of good information in there so i can't say anything bad about that but you know and then 
even on the uh, PPPOE side, I mean, if you go look at RFC 5578, you're going to see a warning on the top of the RFC, right? And it's an informational RFC, but it comes from the PPPOE team because the PPPOE team what you know a normal PPPOE session goes between the two device the two devices right so if you have a cable modem at home going into a router you set up a PPPOE session and that PPP session goes from that cable modem to that router in how we're doing it in 5578 we actually do a split tunnel PPPOE where we do our split you know split head and we go PPPOE between the router and the radio and then the other radio and router. So there's two PPPOE sessions and a single PPP session all the way across, um, which is completely different. You're giving me itchy brain. I'm going to have to have a look at this. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. If you want to continue your journey and learn more, uh, check out the links provided in the show notes below. And of course, I can't close out without your weekly reminder you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. See you again next week.